Actually, uh, this is the eighth deadly sin I'm talking about today. I decided to have a few more sermons on the deadly sins. There are more than seven, I told you, and then I got a couple of people to ask me to continue. So no one said to the contrary, so I am. You may remember Alfred Hitchcock, the movie and TV director. If you don't remember him, uh, and some of you probably would not at all because of your age. If you don't remember him, maybe you have heard of one of his movies, such as Psycho. Or oh, I don't think this one will help, but North by Northwest. That's an old movie. I, I think it's before my time. I remember most uh, his TV program, very suspenseful TV program. And in that series, Fear, which is the subject of today's sermon, fear was a dominant theme. It seems to go with suspense, doesn't it? He played on the fears of the viewers by playing on the fears of his characters. So when you see that, and sometimes it's on as reruns and some of these old channels, he was a person who understood the dynamics of fear and what it was about to entertain us. He once said this, there is no terror in a bang, only in the anticipation of it, end of quote. Today, I want you to see why fear of a certain kind is a sin, a deadly sin, against God and a sin against life, your life and the life of other people. And that the way to victory over our fears is through faith. And for our concern, faith in God. Our text is 1 Samuel 17. What a setting. Let me set it for you. King Saul and his forces are in a face-off against an implacable foe that they faced nearly every day in their neighborhood, so to speak. This foe was the Philistines. Philistines were an interesting people. They were called by some in the ancient world the Sea People. Where they came from, nobody really knows. Maybe the southern Russia, the Caucasus region, uh, northern Iran. Difficult to say. They may have come from many places, but they, they invaded along the coast of Israel. The whole Levant, in fact, down into Egypt. And they settled along the coast of Israel, at least the ones that we're concerned with. And in so doing, they were a warlike people and they attacked Israel over and over and her settlements. One of the reasons that the Israelites wanted a king was in part to stand up to the Philistines. And they chose King Saul, who looked the part of anybody. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else in height. Uh, he no doubt was a handsome man. 
He looked to be of leadership material. But look where we find them when chapter 17 of 1 Samuel opens up. Here are the Israelites on one hill, and here are the Philistines on the other, and it's a standoff. But every day, a giant of a man named Goliath, a Philistine, comes down and challenges any man in Israel to face him. Now, what he does is that he offers something that was fairly common in the ancient world. Sometimes wars were settled between contests, a, a, a contest between two people. You choose your best warrior, and we will choose ours. Achilles and Hector, for instance, and others. We have this over and over in the ancient world, examples of it. The problem is that Goliath came down fully armed, and he said in our text to be nine feet, nine inches tall. It is true that some of the other ancient manuscripts say that he is six feet, nine inches tall. Nonetheless, he's a very large man in a time when most people probably were five feet, five two. A very large and formidable man. But Israel did have one person on their side that kind of looked the part, King Saul. But where do we find them? There are two verses in the text that I want to read to you, and it kind of sums up what is going on. The first verse is found in verse 11, and it says this, On hearing the Philistines' words, that is, Goliath, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They were in a state of fear. It wouldn't take much to put them in a state of panic. And then look at verse 24, which is not part of the lesson. It's too long a lesson to read. I just read down to verse 11. But notice this. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. So here we have an instance of fear. And so I want to unpack this for you in a way to demonstrate that what the Israelites were experiencing was a deadly sin. What they were experiencing and going through at this time is not of faith. It is just simply fear that immobilized them. It would not have taken much to put them to flight. Not very much at all. And the problem is that we often feel that way in our own lives, don't we? Some of you face challenges every day and maybe something on tomorrow that you don't want to face. You, you would rather avoid it if you could. Or there will be challenges in the future. God knows what, but they come. And they're sure to come which will require you to summon all the courage that you can to be able to deal with your problems. Fear is a challenge. Now, there's some things that you should know about this situation. Again, the one-on-one -on -one contest was an option. And Saul, the king and leader of Israel, was cowering with his troops. This challenge would actually have saved lives. I don't know whether Israel should have taken it or not. That's beside the point. 
They should have at least defended their way of life. Let's talk about fear. Fear comes, of course, not as a single emotional or psychological state. It comes in many forms, and sometimes fear is good, and sometimes it's wrong. Sometimes it's excessive, and sometimes it's deficient. Let me just simply remind you of a couple of things. We innately inherit fear for a good reason. It helps us preserve our lives. Some kinds of fear are very good, innately tied to us. From the very beginning, a baby is fearful of falling. One of the things that so upset people over Michael Jackson when he held the baby out the window was that he was, he was torturing the child in one sense because the child had an innate fear of falling. And you could see it struggle. That's a good fear. Anyone who is not afraid of certain situations must not be interested in preserving their life. We have a fear of snakes, an innate fear. Of many people do. You have to overcome that. Some of you haven't, have you? A snake. Even to mention it puts chills up some of your spines. But we have those fears for a reason, and they are good. So not all fears are wrong. And, and there's other kinds of fears. The Proverbs talks about the fear of God. I'll come back to this later. But the fear of God is a good and basic fear that is not only true to the situation of life, but it also preserves the beauty of life and the goodness of life. So fear, in this sense, is fundamentally basic to our whole way of life. And some people, due to their own, if you will, evil hearts and intents, have a fear of, of goodness. Yeah, there are people who have a fear of goodness. I think it's quite rampant in our society. A fear of truth and goodness. Otherwise, you would not be hearing the stories that you hear reported in the way they are if there wasn't an attempt to shape life away from truth and goodness. That's what this kind of propaganda is all about. Basically, underneath, it is a fear of goodness, a loathing for it even, if you will. And in the case of the New Testament, there are at least two examples that I could point to of this kind of fear. King Herod, for instance, feared John the Baptist. Now, why did he fear John the Baptist? He knew that he represented truth. He knew that he represented truth. The scribes and the Pharisees and the temple authorities feared Jesus. Look through the New Testament. They feared him. Why did they fear him? Because of who he was. And in a real sense, in the person of Jesus Christ, truth, beauty, and goodness all meet together. And for that reason, he was feared. He could not be stopped or coward uh, or made into a coward. He was a, a, a man, true in his humanity, to his heavenly father. The fear of God ruled over his heart. But there are fears, and this is the kind of fear that I'm going to zero in on for a few minutes. There is the fear that pertains to living life and meeting its challenges that we are called to overcome. The fear 
that comes with living life. We can call that existential fear, if you will. Just simply comes out of life because we're alive, because we live in the world. And since we cannot control our environment and our relationships entirely, challenges grow out of that. Many kinds of challenges. And when we fail to meet those challenges, which are good for us and good for our children, our neighbors, our church, whatever, our nation, then that becomes a deadly sin for us. It cripples not only the individual, but it cripples down the line. Fear, in this sense, is simply a failure to embrace life and all of its possibilities. What are the consequences of fear? Well, fear, in this case, can cloud your vision about life. A, a fearful person really can't see things the way they are. In uh, these uh, sins, we've talked about all of them in some ways, cloud your judgment and understanding. That is always what sin does. It clouds your judgment and understanding. And fear, maybe more than any of them, will do that. It doesn't allow you to see things the way they are. You see, Caleb and Joshua, when they went as spies into the Canaan land and came back and gave reports, they gave reports while there were giants in the land, they said we should go in. The challenge did not overwhelm them, but the rest of the spies that went in from Israel came back fearful of what they saw. And if history were left up to the others, then we would not have the rest of the story even in the Bible. There is sense, a sense that fear can cloud your vision of life, of what you can do and be as a person. Make no mistake about it. And this is a, 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 certainly not a blessing to our children if we allow fears to develop within them in this way. You see, fear keeps you from reaching your potential. Now, I'm not preaching a self-help sermon. You know how much I dislike that kind of approach. This is not a psychotherapeutic sermon either. I don't like that approach. It's shallow. This is a theological sermon, and fear figures large in our lives. Fear keeps you from reaching, if you will, God's calling and will for your life, or call it potential. It keeps you from reaching that. And some of you know it does. You felt it in your life. Because there's always a fear of failure. A fear of failure is a big thing for children. A fear of failure will keep children from reaching out and developing skills and talents in their life that they should develop. A fear of failure will keep you from doing many things in life that are good for you and good for your family. I might also say that fear in a people will keep them from having the kind of culture that they need. You see, not only is this true on the individual level, but let me say that fear has cultural consequences. Gilbert Murray, the great classicist and historian, addressed the question, why did a little old religion, little, little new religion, I should say, uh, in the old world, called Christianity triumph when all of those large religious and political movements failed? 
And it's true. After the rebel of the Roman Empire, what stood? Christianity. The ancient world really fell. And he says it fell due to a failure of nerve. Cultures can collapse due to a failure of nerve. Some of what is going on in our society today is a failure of nerve, if you will. And as Christians, we should not be a part of it. Fear leads then to many things. I want you to hear what Edmund Burke says in his own words. It's quoted in many ways, but this is the way he wrote it. He said this, It is necessary only for the good man to do nothing, for evil to triumph. Fear will keep you from speaking out when you should. Yes, on moral and social issues that invite us more than ever before to speak out. There is so much out of joint. We're being undermined as a society. And of course, you have those who say, ah, everything is the way it is, always it is. But my friend, look at the longer view of history. Fear keeps us from having a better life and a better nation. Now, there is a link to my next point. There is a link between courage and fear. So how do we keep from evil triumphing? Having courage. How do we embrace our calling and embrace life? Through courage. The virtue of courage is really what we need. There's a wonderful little book in the Bible called Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is a prophet in the Old Testament. He's numbered among the 12. Those small books at the end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk. The people in the promised land are facing a daunting, daunting challenge. There are forces on the horizon that they can see. It's like a cauldron brewing, and they know that they, not by design that they're coming after them, but since two great world powers, one in Mesopotamia and one in Egypt, are clashing, Israel is right in the middle. And they know that they'll be overrun. And they are frozen in fear. Frozen. Habakkuk writes his book, and he writes his book to infuse his people with courage, to keep on keeping on in the face of seemingly odds that if they develop and come to pass, will overwhelm them. Keep your courage. Now, let me say something about courage. You know this. Courage always assumes fear. I don't say that fear should be eliminated. You know, fear is not, if it's eliminated entirely, it can be a bad thing. There are criminal minds that have very little fear. And they are criminal in their actions because there's really no fear upon their heart or life. And then there are situations where there's the absence of fear, and it can be very good as a mother protecting her young, even in the animal kingdom. But those are rare situations. For most of us, we have fear. And it's, in one sense, a natural thing in life. What is not natural is for it to conquer us. And we are called upon to have courage. 
that is, overcome our fears and act. Fear always, of courage always assumes fear. Courage is a necessary virtue in life. You know, of the four cardinal virtues in the ancient classical world, one was courage and it was considered the greatest. Why was it considered the greatest? Because it helped you preserve your life and it helped you preserve your community and was absolutely necessary for your way of life to have courage. If you're going to accomplish anything in life, and I know you do and will, it will take courage. It will take courage to summon courage in your life to be able to deal with the episodes of life and the challenges that you face is absolutely necessary. And again, let me say it's necessary for the individual, it's necessary for the family, it is necessary for the nation. There would be no United States of America at certain turns in history if there was not a tipping point of courage, in favor of courage, it was required to maintain a way of life. Well, you say, Pastor, where do I, I get courage? You know, that is the problem, isn't it? Where do you get courage? Well, let me say, if I understand theologically the scriptures, you get courage from faith. You get courage from faith. Habakkuk finishes up his book by challenging the people of God to look to God once again in faith, for he is the sovereign power who was able to deliver them from their enemy. One summons up courage through having faith in God. Now, the reason I say faith in God, because anything less will not have you triumph. You can summon up temporary courage for many things for various reasons. But if you want to be more than victorious in life in Christ Jesus, it will be that you have faith in God because it is in Christ that the dead were raised and your last enemy takes courage to face. How does one summon up courage? One summons up courage through faith in God. And that really is the bottom line today to call all of us again to faith in God. Faith is a good that God bestows upon us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And in Habakkuk's theme, it is a call from fear, finally, to faith, so that you might have the courage to face life. Let me talk about faith just for a moment. Faith takes us out of ourselves. After all, that's where the fear is, isn't it? Isn't that where the fear is? You can have sweaty palms. I have a twin sister. She has panic attacks. It could be inherited to some extent. She overcomes it, but she can be in a grocery store and for no reason she starts panicking. Shortness of breath. Sweaty palms. And it's irrational. She doesn't know where it comes from. Interesting enough, she has a granddaughter who does the same thing. There may be a genetic component to this, but she, she has it. What, what faith does is take us out of where the fear is. 
faith, ha faith has a transcendent quality to take us to the Lord. We say in the service, lift up your hearts, and we say, lift them up to the Lord. It takes us into the presence of God. And we can say, all is well with my soul. If you need a more concrete understanding of what this is about, it's found in the Proverbs. In the Proverbs, faith is equal to the fear of the Lord. I told you I would come back to this. The fear of the Lord, says the writer, is the beginning of wisdom. Now you have lots of, lots of real reasons to be fearful. No question about it. The only question is whether they will triumph or you will triumph. You will triumph and get the victory through faith in that one who is eternal where nothing can assail him, but he indeed, as the eternal, can act on your behalf, and he has in the person of Jesus Christ. Which finally takes me to the very last thought. Jesus lived a life just like you and me as a man, though he was fully divine. He faced all kinds of situations in his life in his manhood. And my friend, he even faced the cross. Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. You think there was not fear in that garden? You say, how could, how could Christ fear? There was a dread, the scripture says, upon him. He dreaded this. And yet in his humanity for you and for me, he overcame. That is our example and today I would point you not only to Jesus as your example, but I would point you to Jesus as the object of your faith, your Lord and your Savior. Fear, it, it is a deadly sin. It has compromised people to no end when they should have taken courage. It has uh, robbed you of great joy and potential in your life. You still have the rest of life to live. Let us then fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, that he might bring us even through death to the presence of the Father because of our faith in him. Praise be to God that we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.